Rob DeBrock is a 35-year-old real estate investor from Kansas City who went all in on self-storage after testing the waters with house flipping, working as a realtor, and single-family rentals. After grinding those various side hustles, he found his way into commercial real estate and self-storage. In this episode, we talk to Rob about how he bought his first facility for cash and then promptly quit his W-2 job. The challenges of transitioning poorly managed check and cash facility into auto payments. The best investment he's made to help his storage business run more smoothly. And the unique way he encourages stubborn sellers into giving him access to their financials. I'm Neil Henderson, and this is The Road to Family Freedom. Before we get to this week's show, we'd like to make you aware of something. We are self-storage investors. We buy existing self-storage facilities and vacant buildings that can be converted to self-storage in the Sun Belt. We buy them with cash and some with loans, and we use private lenders who become equity partners in our deals. These equity partners share in the cash flow and the profits when we sell. When we find a deal that we are considering, we call the equity partners and offer them a share of the ownership secured by the property. So if you've ever driven by a self-storage facility and thought, I wonder who owns those things, and you have any interest in learning more about the storage business, we'd love to chat with you. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash storage. That's roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash S-T-O-R-A-G-E and set up a time to chat. We look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Well, Rob DeBrock, welcome to the road to family freedom. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Absolutely. We've been, you know, we've been trying to get this going for so long, but you were on a sort of an epic road trip with your family that I was following. I was stalking you on Facebook for a while. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, we were down in Arkansas doing a little bit of uh, UTV riding. Oh, that's great. That's great. And you are, you're based in Kansas, correct? Correct. Yeah, Kansas City. So we're in a, just a, a suburb of Kansas City, Overland Park. Okay. Is that Missouri or Kansas? Kansas. Okay. Yep. My, my geography is, uh, and is it half the city is Kansas? Yeah. I think the, the majority of the metropolitan Kansas city area is on the, on the Missouri side okay. and all the sports teams are on the Missouri side. Gotcha. Um, you know, downtown, mostly Missouri. Okay. So gotcha. So I want to hear a little bit about how your journey into real estate. I mean, we we're, we're going to focus on self-storage here, but you have a very long and varied sort of road into right. real estate. I'd like you to sort of give us a high level overview of, of your journey into real estate. I think my first exposure really to real estate was commercial real estate. I worked for a company called Excelligent. So uh, at the time they were CoStar's major competitor for data. So I worked with a software team as a product manager and we put together reporting tools, some, let's see, it has been so long. Um, but we're, yeah, we did reporting. Uh, we also, you know, they, they sold to appraisers. So it was really a, a data-driven business. And that kind of, that went south. I ended up working for a, a different software company, but kind of was looking for a, a way out or a little way to make some extra money to then invest. Because I thought, you know, eventually I'd like to have a bunch of rentals and then retire and live off the income. Had some fa- family history of my grandpa invested in real estate and did pretty well. So that's kind of, that was where, what spawned uh, getting my real estate license and kind of following that path. I thought, Hey, I could sell a couple houses, use that money, go do a flip. But I really, I got my license and then started just using the data from MLS and, and we ended up doing a flip, did pretty well in the first one. 
uh, we'd had a, a live-in remodel. We did all right, pretty good on that one too. And so uh, we, we really just started jumping into flips and snowballing that money. And I got enough money to where we were ready to buy a rental. And my mom and some others were like, oh, you don't want to buy a single family. You don't want renters. And you know all the horror stories that you hear about that that try to keep people out of the business, but I was bullheaded, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going in this path. Hey, no, I'm going to manage my risk by doing multifamily. So um, I ended up uh, meeting a gentleman named uh, Jason, uh, who's since become a pretty good friend. And uh, he had some multifamily for sale. And through the course of, of showing me these apartments, it's like, well, why, why are you selling the apartments? And he was shifting all his focus over to storage. So he had already had some self-storage, started doing some bigger multi-million dollar developments, like uh, more RV and boat coverage storage. And so, okay, well, if he's getting out of multifamily, maybe I don't want to be there. This guy seems smart. So I started just digging in online and learning how the numbers worked, came across some information on, on the, the value add strategy, how you can enforce appreciation and you know, like much like anything else, I was skeptical at first, like, okay, that there's got to be a catch, you know, just like wholesaling real estate. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it seems easy, but there's a lot of work to get it done. I think that's like an entry point where a lot of people jump in is wholesaling. Mm-hmm. And so I was, it's kind of leery of that, but I just started telling people, Hey, I, I, I'm going to start getting into self-storage. I'm, I'm ready to buy, start looking for deals, just telling everybody. And that's kind of how I tripped upon my first deal was, it was really just networking and, and luck. So you were doing you were, how many flips, you know, just give a ballpark figure. I did three. We did three, you, did you three. know, and, okay. and before I hung it up. Yeah. So that's not, it's not a whole lot, yeah. but, but yeah, we, I did, I was doing flips and selling real estate. I was working my full-time W2 job and really my, at some point it became too much. So we closed on the, we closed on the self-storage business and I knew what the cash flow would be. And that's, that's like I simultaneously quit my W2 job um, when we closed gotcha. on the storage facility. Gotcha. First one? On the first, yeah, the, the first storage facility, yes. Wow. Okay. So let, let me, before we, we transition into the storage, sure. I want to, you know, let's, let's touch a little bit on what it was that, that made you stay away from not keep on going down the road of, of flipping houses and, you know, multifamily. Yeah. So uh, flipping houses, you know, it, it could be really good or it can be very mediocre, but at the end of the day, you, you don't have this passive income or, and, and self-storage is less passive than like a triple net lease, but you know, it, it's earned income. And, and there's a huge difference between earned income and passive income. And, and I knew that, uh, you know, flipping houses was was ultimately just my way of my 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 current vehicle for for building wealth and and move to the next one and and self storage could be that as well. It just we'll see where it goes. But th- that that ultimately is what my goal was not to just be a, to be a flipper for twenty years and and do that. I, I wanted to rapidly accumulate cash and invest it in passive investments and then just continue to grow gotcha. that way. Um, and then multifamily, it was just a different level of touch and, and risk. So, you know, people, when they come to me and they're kind of new in real estate and they start going, well, you know, I've heard you can get into wholesaling without any money. 
I'm right. like, well, you know, it's part, you know, it's kind of true if you just want to drive for dollars and just knock on doors, you know, but if you really want to do it right, you're probably gonna have to spend some money on marketing. And then the other thing is that, you know, for, for an entry level position, you really need to know almost everything there is about real estate. It's one of the hardest things, you know, you got to know how to, how to negotiate. You got to know how to market. You got to know how to uh, evaluate a deal, you know, and how to create a spread for yourself. And it's like, it's a, it's the people who do it work hard at it. And, oh, I, absolutely. and I don't think, I don't know many of them who are doing it with a full-time job or a family. No. They're young, they're young guys who either don't have a family and they've, you know, they've got loads of energy and time on their hands and, or, or they've already kind of like built the systems and are doing it that way. Right. It's easy to get in. It's easy to get beat down. And, and I think I experienced a bit of the nose when I was, so I first started doing real to work, I was calling for sale by owners. And that's how I tripped upon the, like the first flip that we did, but th- there's just a lot of no's. So it's, it's numbers and it's not for everybody. I don't, I'm not opposed to selling, to assigning a contract. You know, if, if the, if this, I'm analyzing a deal that's good enough for me to buy. And, and I have an investor friend that wants it more than me, then, Hey, I'd have the conversation, but it's, that's not my business model, no, but no. it's definitely not, it's not as easy as, as Instagram or, or TikTok no. makes it, it, it look. No, absolutely. And nor, and nor is house flipping. It's, you got to mind the store, you know, unless you have a absolute, unless you, you stumble upon an absolute rock star contractor you know, who's, who's hungry, you know, as a friend of mine said, you know, I had to show up on the job site every day and, and count the, uh, Dos Equis bottles, you know, <laughs> you that's know, fair. You know, it's, it's, yeah. um, so I've got, I've got a great guy and, uh, and, and that's, that's why we, we had been pretty successful with our, our first, uh, the first two. Right. And then, then the third one, we we're a bit more hands-on a friend and I did a, a majority of the work and like, so we worked more and we got paid less. This doesn't make sense. But mm-hmm. I think that was actually a, a case where we we just uh, didn't, you know, we just didn't buy it right. We get, just got a little cocky. And, oh, we could pay a little bit more than than what our, our strict rules are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's still a fair deal on both sides, but but you're not, you know, not hitting it out of the park every time. So, yeah. but yeah. all good. Hey, it's still in the green on every every one of them. So that's better than being in oh, the yeah. red. I, oh, yeah. That, Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, so, let's, let's talk about storage. How did you, how did you find that first deal? Yeah. So the, the first deal I'd done, I would crossed paths and, and with a, uh, a, uh, lady that, uh, do, we were doing a, a benefit auction and I was helping with the website. So we, we became friends on Facebook. And so she had put, uh, I don't know, six, eight months after, after this event, uh, she had posted on there about, Hey, I'm getting back into real estate. Anybody, looking to buy, let me know. So I just told her, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to buy self-storage facility, you know, bring, bring one to me. And then, uh, yeah, she called me short after that. I mean, yeah, within, within a couple months, weeks, something like that. And, uh, by the time I got around to making my formal offer, it already had offers and was under contract. And, uh, so I, I kind of, I snoozed on that. Um, but I, I kept in touch. I said, Hey, if, if this falls through somehow, I really want to stab at it. Uh, I'll make a competitive offer. So, yeah, we did. We we uh, she she gave me a heads up that the the deal was falling apart, um, and I put a pretty solid 
offer together. We did a cash offer with, I think we did a 90 day closing. Cause I needed, I was kind of getting ahead of myself. We hadn't sold a couple houses yet. So I needed a little bit of time, but yeah, we, we made the, yeah, all, all cash, no contingent, non-contingent offer. I already had all the financials and, mm-hmm. and it looked rock solid from my point of view, because there really wasn't, um, she wasn't showing much, um, as much net operating income as maybe you should, you know, a lot of the mom and pop businesses are operating in a way where I'm, I'm trying to, I'm not positioning this to sell. I'm trying to save myself on taxes. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. if I, I looked, look through that and I go, I think I'm getting this for half price. You know, if, if I can get just a little bit more occupancy and I was still pretty conservative on it, but I, I really felt like that this is just a home run. I, I ran it through a, a trusted friend of mine. It's like, Hey, can you poke holes in this deal? And, and he couldn't either. So, yeah. So uh, you mind us asking what the purchase price was? Yeah. That one was three seventy two five, And that was all cash. All cash. Yeah. Okay. How big was it? Uh, it's 21,000 square feet, 131 units. And then there's a bonus, uh, 14 RV sites at one of them. So it was, it was kind of, so I split the properties up. There are, there are two facilities that are across a small town and it was a little confusing being branded the same. So one of them's on Magnolia street and that one we, we named Magnolia storage. And the other one, I wanted to get a little bit more traffic to the RV park and search engine activity. And so we named that like Pleasanton RV park and storage. And that that's worked out good having both. Now I'll get people calling shopping around and the prices are the same, (laughs) but, but no, that that's kind of the, the first two facilities was more like one portfolio purchase. Gotcha. Gotcha. And when you say RV site, is it RV parking or is it RV like RV? Full hookups. Yeah. So you want to go camp. Okay, now it's, gotcha. it's no frills, which is, it's good, yeah. right? We, we, it's, um, it's something that's easy to manage remotely. I can kind of get hosed on the uh, honor system. Like I've had people park there and not pay, but they can call me. Like I have, I have a phone number there. People can call pay. We do. So honestly, we do more monthly site rentals than anything else. So mm-hmm. um, at any given time, I have two or three month and month people, people are coming in and doing doing work in the community or like it's, it's, it's yep. kind of a, a rural town. So we had like a lineman crew, four people rolled in and, you know, $450 a month times four. And then, um, you know, we have some other folks Yeah, mostly, mostly for work or visiting family. There's kind of a housing shortage in that area. Mm-hmm. So um, some people are kind of using their RVs as transitional housing. Well, an RV, I mean, RV usage has just exploded in the pandemic too. My my wife and I were briefly entertaining the idea of buying a fifth wheel and sort of going mobile for a while. And then it just, we discovered that everyone was thinking about doing that and right. like prices went through the roof and, and we just, we sort of abandoned that idea. So, uh, no, no debt on the property at all. No, no, no leverage on that one. And, and I do have, so the, the one we recently did, we use le- leverage and we can, we can sure. cross that bridge, but, uh, so the, let me, before we move on to that one. Yeah. So the opportunity on this first one was that, you know, they were under reporting their, their net operating income in order to avoid paying the IRS. Correct. So not, not a hundred percent. Right. So I just, uh, low occupancy and there was a, a much higher operating expense. So then, than what I'm doing, right. I don't put my cell phone on the business or, you know, various other line items, um, that I could just 
I'm operating it with the, you know, an intent of, Hey, maybe I'll trade up in a few years. Well, we got them stabilized a lot quicker than we thought. You know, we had, we had 26 units just full of a trash and abandoned stuff that had been there for who knows how long we, we went through the process of emptying that those out. And that's not something that I did. I, (laughs) I, I, I think I cleaned out, I want to say we did like three or four, like 20 by tens. And it's like, there's got to be a better way. Cause I know people are treasure hunting. So we, we found somebody and, and worked it, worked something out to where uh, it made a lot more sense. The ROI for me was not there. You know, one of the things that I, I run into frequently when I'm talking to potential uh, sellers uh, is, you know, you'll run into that. Well, how much, what's your, what's your NOI? what are your expenses? What's, what's your uh, revenue? And they'll go, well, you know, this is a cash business. Wink, wink. You know, we're typically looking for, for places we're going to put debt on. And, and then you have to have this very uncomfortable conversation where you say, look, I'd love to pay you what you think your, your place is worth. But when I go to a bank, they're going to ask to see your, the last two years of your tax returns. Right. And, and they always, well, and, that, and that's a good way of playing good cop, bad cop, right? Yeah. Use, the, use the bank as the bad cop. And that's, you know, what we, it's kind of how we negotiated this last one is, well, hey, you, you tell us what the price needs to be. You know, at, at the end of the day, the bank's only going to loan what it's worth. So we'll try. We, we, we want to get you a number that you're happy with. With this one, I was not the reason we did cash. And it was a stretch to make it happen. But the reason we did cash was, you know, that previous deal fell apart. Uh, they couldn't get financing on it. The records were kind of um, were not to to the level where I think a bank would take you serious on it or. Yeah. So a lot of the pairs are check pairs. So I'm, I'm sure they, you could back into it, but I, I, I wasn't confident in getting it done. Yeah. So Did especially since up- I lost out on the first, you know, first round, it's like, yeah. let, let's just go all in. Did you bring on partners for that one? Or was that hundred percent your cash? That was me. Yeah. Okay. Wow. You went all in and you well, said, yeah, before, before I even had it. Right. I was like, we haven't listed this house. And, and so like, yeah. Yeah. It, it worked out, but yeah. And then you, after you bought that first facility, you pulled a Mike Wagner and you quit your W2. Yeah. I think we, I think I want to say my last date was my last day was before the closing date by like a week, I think. But yeah, we were, yeah, I did. I did pull that. Gotcha. gotcha. Ready to roll. Yep. Yeah. So, well, you know, you know what the setup had been. So that was July 15th. The, that was this. Setup. That was just well, this last July fifteenth. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's been. Yeah. I'm pretty. I'm pretty green. So November of the previous year is kind of when open enrollment at work had come around. Right. Let's mm-hmm. sign up for healthcare. And I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. I have to do my own thing. The barrier in my mind is health insurance. Right. So told my wife, hey, we're going to get on our own health insurance plan, and that way. When it's too much, pulling the plug. But I'm going to keep going until it's just too much. And so that was that was when it was too much. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it, it was a crazy June, July, and I was selling a selling a house for a friend, and the market would, had just gone berserk last year. Like we we had, I want to say three three simultaneous deals that were all over asking, and yeah, it, it was weird. It was a really weird time. Yeah. So the market is still berserk. It's even, I think it's even more berserk 
We, you know, we, we've made some yeah. offers. We made, we've made some offers on some properties recently and it's just absolutely bonkers. We had a, our realtor friend said that one of the offers that they saw, one of the, the incentives that the buyer offered was to pay the seller's kids way through college <laughs> four years, four years at, at a specific wow. state school. So there was a, you know, there was a cap, a, yeah. a cap but I mean, it, it's like, you know, we're getting, we're getting into absolute bonkers territory here. So that's weird. Yeah. So weird. (laughs) All right. So, and you have so far, you've converted a large portion of those people over to auto pay from paying by check. Right. Yeah. Everything. So there, there were a large number of cash payers at this Dropbox and then checks, money orders, but yeah, we're at, so one of the sites is 40% on auto pay and the other, I think is right around covering around 20, uh, 18 to 20. And that's, I mean, we want to get that all like up to a hundred percent. Yeah. So w- one thing we're doing uh, right now is we're discontinuing that lockbox. We're putting a sign on there. This is only like no payments. And, and that's where we'll have um, those combination locks dropped because it, you know, that's part of the processes of, of being able to potentially unplug and do the RV thing for a few months. You know, we'd like to go on the road for three weeks or a month of summer. And mm-hmm. in order to do that, I, I need to put processes in place. And, yep. and more. we've, we've got a couple of folks down there that can handle, you know, we have, we have uh, one person doing mowing and spraying for weeds and then somebody else that's like a, a handyman type that can kind of do miscellaneous, yeah. throw a lock on, take a lock off, do a clean out, yeah. um, repair a spring on a, on a door. So just those little things, just little tweaks. Like Fra- Fraser Robinson was the one that suggested those those uh, combo locks, and that's been the biggest game changer for us. Talk to me about <laughs> what you, talk to me about what you mean by that. What what kind of locks are you talking about? Yeah, so they um, I've got one right here. So uh, combo disc lock, and it's just got like a yeah a, co- a combination code because I am not really wanting to give anybody a mastered key for all of my key to like disc locks. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if I need to pay a handyman or even tell a customer, Hey, um, Oh, you rented unit number 13. I've got a little disc lock on there. I'll give you the combination. If you could please drop it in my drop box when you're done, you know, after you've opened up your unit and then we let them in, they can check in the same day. I don't have to be there. So Mm -hmm. like this facility is about an hour from my house. That, that forces us to only take customers that pay electronically, credit card or ACH. Yep. And then also, I, you know, I, don't, I don't have to run down there and back to go make sure that somebody um, swept or cleaned a unit. I can leave a few of these with my guy down there. I can pay him a, a show up fee to open a unit, sweep it out or say, hey, these guys are good. Give them their deposit back, uh, which I say deposits. We, we have held deposits and, and I'm not sure if where you're at on this, but we, we've kind of, um, we're getting away from deposits on, on credit card, on auto pay folks, mm-hmm. um, to incentivize going on auto pay. we charge an admin fee, mm-hmm. you know, a $20 admin fee. I use that to kind of cover the expense of having my guys show up to either to let them in, clean it yep. out. Yep. But then if we have their, you know, on the contract, we can charge them a clean out, a clean out fee if they left some trash. So we're kind of doing it more on the back end, less, clerical admin work up front. And uh, also people get really mad when you don't give them their deposits back. So at least in our small town, word travels fast and we're, so it's kind of like, Oh, those, those guys are great. 
I, I don't want to get that. Oh, well, they, you know, I was one day late past the uh, notification period and they kept my 70 bucks. I, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Yeah. It's That's just a, part of our yeah, business. Model. I hear you. It's just a, you just get, you know, people get weird and that, you know, they get defensive about it and, you know, and, and it's the, it's probably the quickest way to, to get a bad review on Google. Yeah. I kept my son okay. and over a $70 deposit. Right. Yeah. So we, we've just kind of been like, you know, this is part of the business. We're going to have to do clean outs. We're just going to get it done. Yeah. Um, we're going to kind of try to minim, minimize our exposure. And this is a learning process. Like, like I said, I'm green. So I can let you know if it, if it starts to flop and we really get hosed, but, yeah, but that's yeah. kind of what we're, we're trying to do low touch. And then, then also, um, you know, utilize some local people as well. Yeah. We, we have a key. My partner has a kiosk at one of his facilities. It's so expensive. And, right. you know, we've sort of talked about just getting an iPad and sticking it in there or, you know, just saying, look, you know, checking on everybody's got a kiosk in their pocket. Now they've got a, right. a cell phone and then maybe, you know, we've talked about sticking a little, a vending machine with locks in there, you right. know, and people can buy a lock right there and it spits it out. And, you know, uh, and you just got to have somebody go by and, and, uh, you know, refill the lock machine every once in a while. So, you know, it's just some, all sorts of different ideas, lower, lower, high mix of sort of high tech and low tech and not having to, to. Yeah. So, so like, does your partner have the insomniac kiosk? Is that yep. what they're using? Something similar? Yep. Yeah. That's pretty cost prohibitive. I mean, it's a gorgeous, for, it's a class A, it's a class it, A facility, but. Okay. Um, well, so it probably makes sense there. So yeah. in, in small town, rural, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. And we have kind of a mix of clientele, you know, some, some of the folks, uh, you know, aren't really on smartphones because they're a different generation and, mm-hmm. And some like just won't convert over to auto pay or may not have a debit card. So, so we still, you know, it's hard to complain when the money is coming in the mailbox, but Hey, let's get it as, as efficient as possible. So, well, you know, first time you buy a storage deal, especially when you've got a lot of um, abandoned units, there's always uh, people always have stories of, of interesting finds. Do you have any sort of interesting things that you found? Yeah. uh, So no, I, I kind of quit digging, digging, but I, uh, <laughs> you want to be careful what you find. Right. Yeah. We found, yeah, we found some taxidermy and, and th- this was the first unit I opened up and there was a, a, uh, well, there was a deer head and then there was a wildebeest. So uh, the wildebeest is, it's kind of a cow looking animal with these big horns on it, um, from, I think from South Africa, mm-hmm. that kind of region. So oh. I was, I was laughing about it. I sent it to one of my hunting buddies or I don't hunt. It's one of my buddies who does hunt yeah. and right off the bat. Oh yeah. I think that's a wildebeest. So I looked it up and then uh, a few, a few other buddies were saying, Hey, oh, I'll buy that off you. Like, okay. What, what's this thing worth? But yeah, eBay, they're, they're going for like two grand. So wow. uh, that, that was pretty cool. I uh, saw that, you know, I'm still, I'm kind of holding out for Pokemon cards. If, if somebody <laughs> has Pokemon cards, I heard they're going for a couple hundred grand for a, an open packs or something, yeah, yeah. But, which is absolutely mind blowing. But, yeah. but no, we, I mean, we, we don't go, we don't go digging, it, it, you know, we, we, uh, so in Kansas, you can, you can sell the, the way the lean law works, you can sell by any reasonable commercial means. And so and that's what we've done. We just find folks to, um, we're not holding a storage wars style auction where yeah. um, we found a few people that are pretty reliable at clean outs and will either pay or call it a wash. If you have some full of trash and you have some that they, they think they can 
sell some things and we, we work out a, a sort of a sale transaction that way. But, gotcha. um, you know, as a, as an owner operator looking to scale, it's not, it's not a good use of time. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, so talk to me about the second deal. Okay. So second deal, um, this one, you know, if it, if it was in a, in a, a bigger city, I would consider it like maybe a B class, class B plus or something. It's, it's a nice facility. Um, it was, it's five years old in Newton, Kansas, uh, the name of it's storage max. And, uh, it's got like rock fascia on it. It really didn't spare any expenses. There've been, you know, some changes with the family over the years and, and the, uh, the um, woman who owned it was just kind of ready to be out of the business. She had um, already kind of uh, separated herself by hiring an on-site manager, you know, at, at a, a pretty high expense. And uh, so that's where we were finding the efficiencies in, in this place is, is operationally. Uh, the expenses are pretty high um, and it's top of the market for rent. So, you know, we, we bought under appraisal, under appraised value by quite a bit, but yeah, she was really just looking for an exit. And, uh, at first, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit smaller than the facility I have, but it's, I mean, it's, it's nice that nothing needs to be fixed on it. Mm-hmm. It's really just, um, and, and really it's stabilized. So, uh, we bought it, it was at 87% occupancy and just by like picking up the phones and taking credit cards and having our handy combo locks yep. on hand, it was like th- there are people calling they're at the facility. They want to move stuff in like now. Yeah. And I think the way that it was managed before that, you know, you know, you call on a Monday, well, I could get out there by two, Wednesday or Thursday. Well, it's too late. Yeah, There's somebody true. else that has a unit yeah. that can move me in today. So, um, but yeah, I think our, our rates are more than anybody else in town. It's just a nicer facility. It's, it's, um, it's, it's gated. It's got, got cameras. Uh, I mean, we're real, real proud of it. But, but again, what we're trying to do there, so I did, uh, we structured the deal with, uh, with partners. I have another um, general partner, and then we have a, a limited, like a silent partner mm-hmm. as well. But, um, and we, we financed, uh, we leveraged 75% of it um, to kind of go through that exercise. And, and uh, it was easier than getting home mortgage. It was, it, wow. it was refreshing to like that, that experience. So wow. uh, we went to a local community bank, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, th- I, th- I think there's some upside in those operational efficiencies where, yeah. you know, some of the bills are crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, it's amazing how quickly you can, you know, I mean, you start calling around to storage in some of these smaller towns and you can very quickly, you know, first, first thing is they don't have a website, no website. Okay. You call right. them and then you get, you know, you'll get a, a an answering machine and it's right. like, you've reached such and such storage and such and such storage and such and such random business, please leave a message, you know, and yeah. it's like, you know, I, I don't know, maybe in, you know, really small towns where there's just not a lot of um, stuff going on that might fly, but you know, man, it certainly smells like an opportunity to me whenever I hear that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I, so the, the, the first facility that, that I've got, those, are in a small town with no virtually no competition, no competition, mm-hmm. but even those folks get frustrated when you don't pick up the phone. So yep. we, um, we're actually using a system called call rail. I don't know if you've heard of that before. No, um, I'm not. What is it? it, it it's a, it's an, well, it's an app based call service. We can generate phone numbers. So mul- multiple phone numbers. So I have like a different phone number for each one of the businesses. So it whispers in my ear, 
uh, like call from Magnolia Storage or call from Storage Max. Mm-hmm. So it'll it'll uh, you can set up schedules for it to go to voicemail after hours. Yeah. You know that that was important for me to like put rules in place. Yeah, hey, yeah. I'm not going to pick it up when it rings after yeah, yeah. six, but I will call back if I can. And, and yeah. nine times out of ten, I call I call right back. But yeah. it hits voicemail. Say, hey, sorry, I missed your call. Hits voicemail after yeah. six. You know after business hours. And people understand, but we're able to set up really cool rules in there. So even like my partner and I, if Let's say he goes on vacation, um, like he so he does all the um, operations for our Newton facility. And um, if he goes on vacation or is going to be out of pocket, we can just on the app redirect that call to my phone, and then I can just start answering. And mm. we use ESS. I've got them on the two facilities in Pleasanton, and then the the one in Newton. And we're we're both familiar with all the systems. We can back each other up. So. Even though he's like he's not a, a partner on the Pleasanton facilities, he can back me up, and and so um, you know the, the the processes are all the same. I mean, ideally, an idyllic world, we're not ans- we're not answering the phones at some point, but you know that's that's not where the business is at today, yeah. um, kind of early in in our self storage journey. Yeah. Well, you're still probably in acquisition mode, I realize, but how much time would you say the operations are taking you each week? Uh, okay. So for the, for the Pleasanton one, the one that I, we got in July, your whole portfolio. Okay. So that, that one, I'd say an hour and a half. I mean, we, we've been, um, pounding the phones for, for the new facility, getting email addresses that, so they were on uh, WinSend and we're, we're transitioning everything over to, um, ESS Mm -hmm. and we are, you know, we, we didn't have email addresses for any of the hundred and something customers. So that that's been the challenge is getting people to pick up the phone. So we, we call, we reconcile their account, send them a text message. And so we've just been going through that process, you know, send them their log information, login information via text. Mm-hmm. And um, just so that that has been a full-time job, but we're the transition, the transition, transitioning in. in. Right. And, yeah. and that whole the transition in the first, you know, 45, 60 days is going to be like that full-time job. But yeah, I, I probably spend an hour and a half, two hours a week. If you average it out, maybe more, if I go down and I think I make, I make two, two trips down to the facility a month. Um, and I'm hoping to get to one and then really not have a schedule of going down. So that that's the idea is to I mean set it up to where I can jump in the RV and go go live in, you know, northern California by Lake Tahoe for yep. two months out of the year if I wanted to. Yep. Just to have that flexibility. Because really it's it's all about freedom. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. money doesn't buy happiness, but it buys freedom. Freedom gives you happiness. So yep. it, it's kind of part of the the thing. It's it's a, a necessary part of what we're trying to do. Yeah. So would you say you you know a, a a ballpark figure would be what ten hours a week, right now? Oh, right now, yeah, pro- probably. Okay. I, I mean, I think I think less. Like we had two weeks of I think grinding out probably thirty hours th- those two weeks on making calls. But you know, every call that gets answered, you're on the phone for fifteen minutes with yeah. an introduction and kind of going going through the whole the whole thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. I would I would say yeah, stabilized sub ten hours a week. Yeah, gotcha. On that, gotcha. As far as managing operations, right? But but in acquisition mode, like 
you're always researching or like your your marketing energy or reading like i've i've picked up a bunch of material on learning how did the syndication world works and Mm -hmm. like are we doing so the way we did this joint venture is that how the next one looks or is there something that makes more sense that we should be looking at yeah because ultimately i mean we we touched before the call about like reverse engineering somebody else's success. And that's what we're looking at. It's like, okay, so the real businesses are real businesses. They're not just, you know, grandpa that owns storage for 30 years and he sold it and look at all the cash he made. It's okay. So there are examples, Mike Wagner, AJ Osborne, and some other podcasters in this niche mm-hmm. have, have shown, Hey, uh, we're built success by buying stuff that we think we want to keep and then putting a price tag on it when we feel like, hey, this is this is the ideal spot for the for this facility, and it it seems to work out. And if it doesn't, you have a really great performing asset you can hold. Yeah. So you can hold and operate, and it's and it's all good. But if if there's opportunity to trade up, that's that's kind of uh, yeah. something we need to always keep in mind. It's not just get fixated on I, I own this thing. Yeah. So you know, it, it's a the whole idea of constant. Cash flow forever is very seductive, but you know, you sort of, I always like to use the term return on equity, you know, eventually right. you got to sit there and figure, all right, what, you know, how much equity we have in this, how much cash flow we get and what's our return on equity. And is right. there some place that we can put that equity to better use? And sometimes that means selling a really good performing asset and trading up um, yeah. and putting that, that equity back to work. Well, it's at some point you're, you're going to be paid off. Right. And, and, and that that's a long hold, but at some point your assets paid off and then you're not using your leverage to grow. And, and maybe at, at, at a certain point in your investing career, you go, look, I just really want hands off. I think I'm going to be the LP on all these, on, you know, on pick a few syndication deals and collect my 8% or, or whatever, eight, 12%. And just be cashing checks on the beach with a margarita in my hand, but I mean that's not where that's not where I'm at. That's that's uh, it'd be a good good spot to be in for a lot of people's situations. But right, yeah. Well, that's what <laughs> and I. That's tell- why that's a good product. I think you dabble in that a bit as well. Yeah, so. yeah it's um, and it's what I encourage every every active real estate investor to think about is that you know start to think of ways to diversify. And that doesn't mean learning a new active real estate endeavor. It means taking some of your money and you know, real estate uh, and start putting it into someone else, you know, let somebody else do the work for you. And yeah, it means you give up control, which is hard for some real estate investors, but you know, you can't, you know, if you really want to scale, you're going to have to give up some control at some point in, in return for buying your time back. Yeah. Well, and, uh, yeah, it's not, I mean, it, it's really not that big of a deal to release a little bit and yeah. then put bet on bet on that guy. And you never know that guy might be better than you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like, you know, you, they, they go, they have some sort of a, you know, you, you may realize, a you know, a net, you know, like a, a realized gain at 20% IRR or something like that. You go, gosh, you know, if I did that myself, this other deal I did myself was 14% and wow. I didn't have to do anything. And I just gave this guy my cash. So yep. I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. that's, I, I think ultimately that'd be the goal is to get to that point, but yep. <laughs> we're not, yeah, not there I mean, yet. I look forward to throwing some money into mobile home parks and 
you know, we're already invested in a couple of multifamily deals. Uh, I'd like to invest in, you know, somebody else's self-storage deal in a, in a part of the country that we don't invest in and, you know, ATM yeah. machines, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of uh, different syndications yeah. that you can my, my, my buddy, his son is getting into um, candy machines, like gumball machines. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. so besides the, is it called call real? Call rail. Yeah. Call, call rail. rail. Gotcha. Call rail. I'll put that in the show notes. Is there, is there anything that you, besides that, is there anything that you could throw money at your business to, to improve your life? To improve my life, are you saying something that I do currently or? Well, I mean, some, some aspect of the business that you, you think is going to be the first thing that you maybe throw money at to, to remove yourself from. There are two things, right? One, one would obviously be if I could figure out the best way to have calls answered, that's less of a deal than less of a big deal to me than going to the mailbox, getting checks, entering checks, going to the bank you know, really, really, that's probably the biggest headache. And that, that sounds terrible because you, you shouldn't complain about getting cash the way you're getting cash. But, but, you know, if, if we could get those check payers on some sort of electronic payment, and I don't know that that's throwing money at the business. I think it's just being disciplined in who we take on. And as, and that's, that's what we're starting to do. Anybody that's yeah. new that moves in, it needs to be electro an electronic payment of some sort. And that's, uh, I think that that's the biggest hurdle for me is, you know, the, the dream of stepping away for two months and, and mm-hmm. running this from my, from my laptop and my cell phone is, yeah. is have somebody, I have to physically have, have somebody to check the PO box, to yeah. enter those into the system and then make a deposit, which could be done. Yeah. But um, yeah, I would throw money at the, at that. If I could make that, that go, that, that problem go away yeah. or. Um, so you have to, currently you have to go to the mail. You've, you've got to go to the Dropbox uh, periodically. Well, not, so not, not the physical Dropbox, just my PO box, at, gotcha. um, you know, up the road from my house. Gotcha. But I mean, really the, the goal for me with this is, is to, to be able to just duck out and manage remote. Yeah. And, and, you know, for, we're probably, we're 90% there, you know, it, if, if, uh, so my, my partner on the, the Newton facility, you know, he was saying, Hey, you know, you could just do one batch a month. You know, you can, you can have, you know, I could have him go pull from the box or you hire somebody to go pull from the box, enter the checks, make the deposit. That that's, that's something that, that could be a reality. So yeah. gotcha. I need to get better at delegating stuff. And so this, this exercise of having a partner on, on our, our latest acquisition is really great for me because I've, it's forcing me to figure out processes like, you know, getting the, having somebody else asking the question, well, what do I do here? Like, okay, well, I just kind of just do it. And, you know, it, it goes, okay, so we need to figure this out in a way that we could, you know, if we scale this, like we would like to, we have an assistant that does this and, and maybe picks up the phone for the facilities and mm-hmm. enters the checks. And, you know, yeah. you really could have quite a few small facilities managed by one person. Yeah. So, the, um, the term that the, you're looking for is document and delegate. Uh, yes. And it's something I'm having, it's something I have to do all the time. I have to remind myself, okay, this is something I'm doing again and again and again. I need to document how I did this. And it doesn't mean that it's, I'm going to stop doing it. Um, right. But it means at some point I can hand this off to somebody else and they will, they'll have a script on how to do it. 
Yeah. So as we figure out what to document and are are kind of stumbling along some of these things that I figured out the first time and then maybe have forgotten, you know, eight, nine months, you know, we're taking a a couple of cues from the software development world and like agile software development. and, And we're doing like a retrospective. So like we had a bunch of things in the acquisition that we, that, that we tripped up on. It's like, Oh, insurance. Well, maybe that would, that should have been the first thing we got quoted and lined out, not, you know, in the, the 11th hour, like having our agents like, okay, are you know, we, we need this from our banks. Do they fund on Friday and where are you at? Are we, you know, are, are we locked in? And, and so that there's a, there's a few things there that, you know, you just sometimes need to take a step back and do an exercise. And so like I do with sticky notes and stick them on the board and, you know, what, what do we really do? That was awesome. What do we need to do better next time? And, and just, document that. So the next time we go to do it, it goes, Hey, remember we really screwed up on these three things. How are we not going to do that? So if you do, don't just actively try to get better, you're going to just keep making the same mistakes. Gotcha. So location wise, how far are your facilities away from you? The first ones that that's right at an hour. And then the recent acquisition is right about three, three hours from my house. Okay. And then the second one, Oh yeah. So sorry. The, the first two are, are in the same town. Okay. So those are an hour away. And then, yeah, the most recent is three hours. Okay. So about an hour and then three hours away. Correct. Okay. And so you mentioned, you know, you mentioned, you know, being able to go off, not go off the grid, but, but going remote for a while, what kinds of systems and processes or help would you need to put in place to be able to go, you know, to Lake Tahoe for 48 weeks? Right. So um, I think you have to have your bases covered when you're gone for like putting locks on. You need to be able to have any potential repairs. Like, so the uh, recent acquisition has a a gate. That's a new thing for me. Gates can cause all sorts of issues. So you need to be acquainted with somebody who can fix that, understand, you know, have a spare belt in the office have a, have the ability for somebody to get a key to get in the office and make a, you know, fix a bell or whatever they need to fix, but really think about what are all the problems that can happen and that I can't just drive there, you know, and, and take care of. So, but, but really like we, our day-to-day management uh, continues. I think that's just kind of the over, over and above is just make sure that any physical presence issues, so I had uh, like at the RV park, that's a, that's a whole other thing, right? If I have a water issue, somebody runs over one of the water hydrants. Who do I call? I've got a guy. Now, finally, we had a, uh, we actually had a breaker out because uh, somebody was, you know, the, during the winter, we had this co- crazy cold snap. I think uh, yeah. half of Texas froze oh, yeah. and it was, it was, you know, negative temperatures. And we had people out there living in RVs and, uh, so there were two RVs and then one, they ended up saying, Hey, enough, enough of this. Or, or no, we had three people. One of the folks decided that was the end of RV living for them. Oh, so their, their, their pipes froze and they were done. Uh, another person, when it, so they were using so many space heaters that it overloaded the breaker and not just, it didn't just trip the breaker, it fried it. Wow. So I got a call and I'm like, okay, even colder weather's moving in. What are we going to do? She had the RV moved by somebody with a bigger truck as a fifth wheel. She has an F-150 and, and doesn't have, you know, the ability to hook up with fifth wheel. So we couldn't just move her, move her site and, and say, hey, sorry for the inconvenience. Uh, there, there was 
So, so that one that got fixed and that introduced me to like a handy local handyman, fix all handyman kind of guy. So yeah. uh, that, that was good. A good exercise. Cause I had this crazy panic of, okay, I'm not able to get there right now. And this lady, her, she might just completely freeze. There's some irony there too, because she's from Alaska. So (laughs) she came came south for the winter to get away from it all. So I want to sort of roll in. We like to talk about knowledge, but you know, we talked about uh, you are sort of an expert on reverse engineering other people's success, and I want to kind of roll that maybe into um, how you learned how to do self storage. Okay, so. I, I have absorbed all the online content that I could get my hands on. Uh, there's a few books. I, I, I bought uh, Mike Wagner's Storage Rebellion course. That was, I think that was the first thing I bought. And then AJ Wagner has a book that's really good. So I, I started absorbing like that. And then uh, I mentioned a gentleman earlier, Jason. He, he kind of pointed me down the rabbit hole of self-storage when he was showing <laughs> me the multifamily stuff. But so he's got this just killer nice facility um, up here in Kansas City. Actually, I store, we have a, a tow behind camper and I store it there. And, and that's kind of how I, how I met him. But, you know, just listening to t- talking to him about how the business works. And then really, I talked to him more about the business that, you know, where, where he's growing with developing and building and phasing things out and, and, and learning off of that. And, you know, he's, he's built these tracty buildings before and, and, you know, really encouraging how easy uh, it is and hearing it from somebody who's not just online trying to sell some, whatever somebody's trying to sell. Right. Um, Cause I, I, like I said earlier, I'm just a little bit skeptical because I've, you know, I kind of went down the wholesaling rabbit hole and didn't do any myself, but just see a lot of gurus speak, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and if somebody says, ah, you could just throw up a tracty building in a week. If it's somebody online, I'm going to go, no, that's BS. But this guy's like, yeah, you know, we did. And, you know, once you've done your first one, it's like cake. It's like, okay, cool. So like he, he, he's on the product. You just need to start building these. You're overpaying. You just need to start building them. But, but I I mean, that's part of his journey, right? He, he, he bought and then built and then, you know, as, and so we've been watching that and we, kind of joke around. It's like, wow, I think we're skipping the whole renting single families and duplexes. And there, there was a part of his journey that I mean, he's got a, an awesome journey, a great story, but it's just, uh, it, it's interesting to, to learn about all the, all that stuff. And then um, really my, with the self-storage learning, I, I think it was really just like diving in on that forced appreciation. And, and I had learned about it when I was on the multifamily rabbit hole, trying to research, figure mm-hmm. that out about raising rents. But then when you see how, okay, a $3, a $3 rent increase across a hundred, 300, 500 units, it's, Hey, it's just a nuisance. Divided by and, the cap rate. How that works with, with cap rate. It's just like, just insane. So you can't just bank on self-storage appreciating because it's a bit, it's a business, right? Yeah. You can't just say, Oh, it's like my house. My house went bonkers. The housing market's going 8% this year. Hoorah. You have to actively be raising rents. And mo- you know, most people don't want to raise rents. They're kind of, hey, I'm getting my cash flow. Yeah, I know I could get a little bit more, but I don't really want to move it. You know, I don't want to take anybody off. I'll just raise the street street rate or whatever. So that that's kind of where I was at. It's just yeah. I I let I I'll get in a 
get the spreadsheet and I work it out and it's just like, Oh my gosh, okay. This is real. And, you know, and there's real examples and you meet re- real people that have done it. It's, it's like, okay, let, we can, we can do this. Yeah. So. I think that was probably my biggest eye opener with commercial real estate as well. It's just the forced appreciation. It's like, Oh, okay. So I got a multi-tenant asset and I can very slightly increase the rents or lower my expenses per unit. And a, it's going to increase my cash flow, and then right. B, divided by the cap rate and just increase the value of my property significantly off sometimes. And oftentimes I can then go to the bank and go, hey, my, my, here's my numbers. Now my property's worth, you know, 20 to 30% of what I originally paid for it. And now you've essentially done Burr. You've done the Burr right. method with right. a large asset. And you've just pulled all your capital back out and, and you get to try and do it again. Uh, I, yeah. I love it. And by the way, you're not really at the mercy of a local appraiser, you know, who's looking at the comps for the three bedroom, two bath houses that sold in the last six months in that area. You know, it's very, it's much more methodical and it's math based. I mean, it's, it's just math. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, in residential, Every time you sell a house, it's funny how the appraisal comes back, you know, with within five grand of what the contract price is usually. So like a commercial appraisal, you know, a little bit of sticker shock on that one. You know, we, it was like four grand and I'm like, whoa, I'm used to these things being a lot cheaper. Like I was thinking like 500 bucks, what's going on or a thousand dollars, but 96 pages or something like that. And I'm like, wow, this actually is the best tool that I can use on negotiating with my next seller. It's like, Hey, well, we have to go through this before I spend the money on appraisal. We're going to do this ourselves. We're going to underwrite it ourselves. We're underwrite it conservatively. Right. And, and, and really just like we're talking about earlier, the good cop, bad cop with the bank. And it's really, Hey, I'm going to give you a fair price, but there's so many little levers to on the negotiation side to buy it. Right. And then on the sell side, like, like you said, you know, you can, you can increase your revenue or uh, reduce your operating expenses. And I think it's like an ant. It's just like a compounded thing because, well, you know, maybe I do only do three bucks on a, on an increase or whatever 10% is or something small, 10% might be a little high, but, um, and then on this side over here, gosh, they were paying, you know, $280 a month for high, super high speed internet. Like, do we need that to just check our cameras and enter gate codes? Probably not. Yep. Could we cut that in half? Well, that might be a savings of, you know, like it, on your, uh, on your performer, it might make a $15,000 impact, just a couple hundred bucks a month, 150 bucks a month. So yep. that that's kind of, it's a good space. If you turn the spreadsheet into actionable items yep. and then, you know, some stuff it's like, well, you, you cannot, you, you can't run a 10, you know, 10% expense ratio. It's just the bank's going to laugh when you go to sell it. So you still need to be within this reasonable threshold. Like we were saying, Hey, we're going to self-manage it. He goes, well, you know, in the appraisal, we're going to count for $5,000 management fee on a facility that size. Okay, cool. We know that for next time or when we go to go sell. Yep. What, um, what sort of expense ratio are you operating your facilities at or are you targeting? Um, I mean, I'm targeting like 30%, really trying to be lean. To be honest with you, I haven't ran it recently. And we've had a weird time. You know, everybody has a story, as I'm sure you know, on payments and all that. But we have inconsistent months. We'll have, you know, we'll 
the one facility revenues consistently about 7,500 bucks, but then you'll get like a $5,000. And I say one facility, the two that are in the same town, yeah, it'll yeah. be like 75, pretty consistent. And then it'll be like 5,000, 5,500. And then I think we were at 11.5 last month because of stimulus check. A lot of people got current. So wow, yeah. uh, it was crazy, but I'm glad they got up, settled on their bills, but we, you know, with COVID and we are getting a lot, a lot of stories about jobs and we're not in the business to take people's stuff. Yeah. We're in the business of running a, a, an efficient storage operation. And I, I'm sure I could just get railed for being too soft, but I'm too soft. <laughs> <laughs> you have to toughen up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And actually we had a certain, and the number went crazy because we had a surge of RV people come in. So I I think that actually was, that contributes seasonality on that. That's, that's why that one's a little bit weird, but now that's a, that's also a business where I go, okay, huh. Instead of building something, you could just put some pads down and some electric and water and what's the ROI there. So look at all sorts of different stuff. All right. So great, great segue. What is, what does the future for, for your business look like? What's, what's next? Yeah. So I'd really like to do a, a much larger facility. We may do some of these smaller, you know, half million to $2 million facilities in the, you know, in the next two years. But uh, ultimately my, like my goal is to get to the point where we're building out these like RV stores. I think, I think that that, you know, you take 15 acres, you put four to 500 covered sites or sorry, storage spots. Um, and and I I think it's, it's a a tremendous business that's underserved. Um, I don't, there's not enough RV storage in our area in the Kansas city metropolitan area. There's just, there's a shortage. We're full of suburbs that have homeowners associations. So unlike California, where you could park a, you know, a 43 foot fifth wheel on the side of your house, as long as it fits, you can't do that here. They, so that, that's what I'd like to do is plant one of those kind of in, a, in, a, in an area that's, um, you know, highway adjacent, close to nice suburbs and, you know, pe- people that have RVs and want to take care of them. So the big, the big uh, thing with RVs and boats even is keeping them out of the weather. And with like in the Midwest, we have snow. So you have this freeze thaw cycle and it just ruins the roof. So, you know, you can have, I don't know, RV, you know, RVs range in price, yeah. but you know, it's, it's pretty easy expensive. to have 30, <laughs> 60 or 700 grand if you're in like a Newmar. And do you want that freezing and thawing and, and then water damage isn't covered by your insurance. Like nobody's going to save you there. You, you, you're ruined. So that, that's something I think would be, would be a good place. And that's where we're looking at. Okay. Well, that, that's a, a much bigger investment. So it's, we'll see what part of the, the journey our trade up into that world is and, yeah. and if it makes sense or if we, we syndicate a deal like that, but that's kind of what, that's what our sites are on is doing, doing that. And then even reproducing it. I, there, there's a lot of mini storage, uh, but that's kind of where I'd like to look into that as a, as a next thing. So, gotcha. yeah, we interviewed, um, just recently the episode's not out yet, but by the time this episode comes out, it will be, I don't know the episode number yet, but it will be, uh, the, the name is Catherine D'Agostino from storage ninjas. And she talks on that episode. She talks a lot about, uh, RV storage and kind of the different ways to, um, do feasibility studies when it comes to RV storage because it's different. 
You can't, it's right. not like, it's not like storage. You gotta, you gotta, right. it's a very different. It's not market. a simple three mile radius. And <laughs> no, it's, it's different, you know, and, um, but I highly recommend if anybody's got an interest in that and you as well, you should check her out. She's Absolutely. a sharp lady. Well, Rob DeBrock, uh, you've got rising tide investments. If anybody would like to find out more about you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, so they can uh, go to our website. We just have a simple contact form. It's risingtide.investments. There's no.com. It's just risingtide.investments. Great way to just message me would be Instagram. And that's just my first name, last name, Rob Dubrock. Okay, and we'll put all that in the show notes. Perfect. All right, Rob, it's been really great talking to you today. Thanks for taking the time on a Sunday or Saturday for me. All right, thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. Okay, that was Rob DeBrock from Rising Tide Investments. You can reach him at risingtide.investments. Uh, highly recommend you go and check him out, find out what he's all about. I uh, really enjoyed talking to him. So for me, the key lesson learned here was I love the idea of using the cost of the, appre- the appraisal in the negotiation when you're trying to get the information out of, of a, of a seller, which can be hard. Sometimes they're, you know, they're like, well, you know, I got all that records over here and records over there and, you know, and, and, you know, tell them, Hey, listen, a commercial appraisal is going to be $4,000 and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to bring them in unless this is something worth, you know, doing and the bank's going to require it. So basically allow, again, use the bank as the bad guy and come to them and say, listen, you know, I, I need to see these numbers in order to, to give you a fair price for your facility. So, you know, let's, let, you know, come to the table, give me what you got money. This is a great, I love this story. You know, he, he went all in, man. He, he took $375,000 and bought a facility for cash and he's operating it as cash. And he immediately quit his W2 job and he is all in on self-storage. Kudos to you, Rob. It takes guts. Time. Um, he says he, he puts about 10 hours, uh, a week into things, probably a little bit less. A lot of that has to do with the transition of, of buying a new facility. And he anticipates that it will be less at some point. And it's certainly the goal location, as he said, uh, right now it's there, his facilities are an hour and three hours away. And, um, I, I would say it's not hundred percent remote, yet, but I think that's absolutely the goal. And he talked about the idea of, uh, hopping in an RV and going to Lake Tahoe for a couple of months and being able to operate it remotely. And we talked in depth about, um, some of the things that he, he would have to put in place to really make that a reality knowledge. You know, and we talked about this is the, the idea of forced appreciation when it comes to commercial real estate, that is a, it's a real difference from residential real estate, residential real estate is very kind of nebulous and, you know, about what, what's causing, you know, a property to be appraised at what it is. And it's usually, you know, what the, you know, whatever the asking price was and, you know, but what is that, you know, right now places, you know, uh, we've seen uh, areas of the country where the appraisals can't even keep up you know, because the, the prices are right. People are paying higher and higher prices, uh, just to, to get the property. Whereas with commercial real estate, that's not really a factor. It's, it is, it is math. It is gross revenue minus, minus the expenses 
divided by the cap rate. And the cap rate is the closest thing to sort of what the market is doing. And, and that's, you know, that can be a, a, a wild card, but in general, you kind of know what uh, the cap rates are for that type of facility in that area. And you can, you know, if you have to, you can pick up the phone and call a broker and find out um, what they, what their opinion is. All right. Once again, that was Rob DeBrock from Rising Tide Investments. Uh, We highly recommend you go and check him out both uh, at risingtide.investments and at his Instagram feed, um, which will be in the show notes. I'm Neil Henderson. Let's hit the road. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com, and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels on your road to financial freedom. 